I know we're up to letter M, but let me back us into it for just a moment. What is the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? This is important because I don't think fear of the Lord has anything to do with being afraid or scared. But I do believe this, when you fear the Lord, you will fear nothing else. And this is why this is important to understand and I'll explain. I think simply the fear of the Lord is the awareness of God's constant presence in my life and even an awareness of eternity. Let me say that again, because I want, these are good moments. I know, I know some of us are older. Pastor Carter's turning 70 this year. I'm turning 60 this year. So we're all getting older. My Bible print is getting larger and larger up here. So pretty soon you'll see a family Bible up here. <laughs> I'll be turning. Um, but let, I want you to get that. So this is, this is for, t- take your phone out because you're gonna have to snap a lot of pictures today. The fear of the Lord is the awareness of God's constant presence. That's exactly what Ricardo was singing on that little song. Uh, that, that, that to know that God is watching and with us, even with what we look at, what we listen to, that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's a constant awareness of his presence and also an awareness of eternity. And there is a reward that I believe that goes along with the fear of the Lord. And so here comes a lot of verses. It's gonna come like a shotgun. It's just gonna come one after the other that I want you to see the rewards of the fear of the Lord. Look at this. Proverbs sixteen six. and by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. Proverbs 10, 27, the fear of the Lord prolongs life. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence and his children will have refuge. Psalm 25, 14, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears him and delivers them. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Look at this, Psalm 103, 17, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with his, their children and their children's children. Psalm 34, 9, Fear the Lord, you as godly ones, and those who fear him will have all that they need. Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and all who follow his precepts will have good understanding. Proverbs 22, 4, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. And oh, get ready for this. This is better than any prescription or medication. Proverbs 19, 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. The fear of the Lord is better than a pill or essential oils. I'm telling you that right now. While you're rubbing things on your head and everything else, get the fear of the Lord and it changes everything in our life. None of us can deny that since the rewards are massive, we've gotta be a people that fear the Lord, amen? And since these are the rewards, I asked this question. I started reading through this and I said, how, how can I learn to fear the Lord? And folks, I came in to the letter M this way. It is, it is a strange way to discover and learn the fear of the Lord that I found in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a strange way to fear the Lord. Here it comes, Deuteronomy 4.22. You shall surely tithe, uh-oh, money 
tithe all the produce from what you sow, which comes out from the field every year. You shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God at the place where he chooses to establish his name. The tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock. Here it comes, folks, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. I knew I'd only get a golf clap. That's okay. I don't need you clapping. We're going to stay right with the word of God. This is going to get, let me just tell you, this is just the beginning. It's going to get worse. So just let me just tell you that. Which is really a challenge for us. I, I was looking at this going like, seriously? That there is, there is something here about fearing the Lord and tithing put together? And some of you are going, I told you I just wanted to eat breakfast and not go to church on Father's Day. <laughs> tithing answers the prayer and learning to fear the Lord. How does me giving a tenth and an offering affect the fear of the Lord? Tithing, another word for tithing is stewardship. And stewardship, get this, is not simply about raising money. It's about raising Christians who willingly trust and fear the Lord. That's what it is. It's not simply raising money. It's, and, and it's learning what the great missionary Jim Elliott said when he said these words. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's, it's, it's, it's a release that God does. You know, there's an amazing song. I was thinking about this as Kareem was leading us in the choir in that great song as the choir was singing it and you were echoing it and bringing those words of heaven. That, that final song as you were singing glory and honor, those are, that's a, those are lyrics from heaven. We read that in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, that those lyrics that are sung around the throne is blessing and glory. And we didn't even talk about this, but those words are all there. But there was a word that was left out, not Kareem's fault, not TSC Choir's fault, but there's a word that's left out because the blessing, glory, and honor is always in those songs, but they always leave a word out. And it seems that it's a stewardship word. It seems that it is, a, it is a word that connected us with the fear of the Lord. Listen to what Revelation 5.12 says. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and, we skip this one, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. No one uses the word riches in their song. Because the finances that you have, it belongs to God. Let me, let me help me. Yes, Pastor Tim. I got this. I'll do your job today. I got it. I got it. I'll do your job. Zero songs with riches. Every song of blessing, glory, and honor. Because whenever we start talking about M for money, we're going, ah, it's the church again. Ooh, get ready. What he was saying was in Revelation that before you dance and lift up your hands, God was going in Revelation 5, you may owe me something before you worship. Because we need a biblical worldview of what the Bible says about finances and not a corporate viewpoint of what, the, of what it says about finances. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, said this, tell me what you think about money and I'll tell you what you think about God. For these two are closely related. Listen to what Dr. Graham says. A man's heart is closer to his wallet than anything else. And if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every single area of his life. There is nothing, listen, 
There is nothing wrong with men possessing riches, but what is wrong is when riches possess men. That's what God, and listen, we live in the city that wants to possess you. We live in the epicenter of the financial world that wants, to, that wants to possess you. But here's the part I'm gonna tell you. The best way to fight money's control is to be a giver. It's to let go of that thing that wants to hold on to us. You know, I'm gonna say something. Listen, I'm already in hot water today, so let me just get it all out. Here it comes. I want you to understand this because I, because I may be saying this to somebody today. God will never, if, if, if money directs your footsteps, you're not being directed by God. Yes. I love this. I love hearing like one person excited and the others just going, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Because we're not people directed by money, we're people that are directed by peace and by the Holy Spirit. And if a salary is what you're led by, it's a poor, it is a poor model, it is a poor yardstick to be led by if you make decisions based on salary alone. I'm not saying that you don't ask for a salary, but we want to walk in the fear of the Lord. We want God to direct our steps and not an offer letter to direct it. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And some people who crave money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. They said, when that money directs your steps, instead of it being the voice of God and the peace of God and the direction of the Holy Spirit, we can easily find ourselves wandering. I love, that's why when I was reading, thinking about through the Billy Graham, what Billy Graham said about money, I read something in his biography which simply said this, do you know that in the 60s, when he was, when he was just rising in the apex of his career and being heard as a, he was America's pastor and, and, and had access to all these senators in, in Washington, D.C., do you know he was offered by a Dallas billionaire millions, I think it was six, at that time, $6 million to run against LBJ for president. And it said it took him the $6 million, it took him six seconds to say, absolutely not. I am called, because he wasn't led, he wasn't led by finances, he was led by faith. The Holy Spirit was leading him. Every time I get a new Bible, I could see, you could, you could see it in here, every time I get a new Bible, before I even read it, I put in the, in the very cover, the fly leaf of the cover, I put in there a 500-year-old poem that was written by a prisoner, written by a convict. Every Bible I have that I read, the first thing I do, some people underline John 3.16, some try to put, some, some put their name on it. I put the convict's poem from 500 years ago. Let me read you the poem that I put in my Bible. It's this. There was a man, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. So it's written by a prisoner. It's written by a convict 500 years ago. That prison convict's name was John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. That's who it was. I put that there to remind me that not to hold on to things so with such tight fists, but to say, God, it all belongs to you anyway. Everything belongs to him. And this is the very thing, that the more he gave, the more he had, doesn't even seem to make sense. It's like a contradiction. But I've learned over my life that the best way to fight money's control is not to get more, but to give more. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said it like this, there are three conversions necessary to every man, the head, the heart, 
and the purse. He says, and usually it's the third one that's the hardest. That's why when the young pastor Timothy, and this is where people, I get it folks, have taken a topic like this and have used it for manipulation. And that's why you're gonna get more Bible verses today so we can get a biblical worldview. But when the apostle Paul was writing to the young pastor Timothy, he said, Timothy, I don't want you to shy away from preaching to this. And in fact, this is what Timothy said. I mean, what Paul told Timothy. He said, in fact, I want you to teach on this even to people that are doing well financially. Listen to what he says. He says, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money. Look at this, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in who? God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Verse 19, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as good foundation for the future that they may experience, oh, hallelujah, true life. This is what he was saying. This is what he says, I need you to, I need you to preach. So I want to just share over these next few moments on how the windows of heaven begin to open up. The windows of heaven begin to open. The fear of the Lord pours out. So many things that you're going to see are connected with something that seems to hold us captive. Because there are two documents that reveal a lot about us. Here it comes. Your calendar and your bank account. Those two things reveal so much about us they reveal our two precious resources, time and money. And we have to have a biblical worldview on those things. And today, I don't want to deal with the calendar. I want to deal with the checkbook. And, and, and I said checkbook, and I'm telling you, I don't even think anybody writes a check today. Everybody is, is this and this, and everything is online. What, what is dangerous today, let me just say it like this, is that when you look at statistics that are taking place in the church, what's, what's scary is, is church members are changing, here it comes, from stewards to consumers. Let me say that again. The danger is that we are changing from stewards to consumers. That means we want the church to give, to give us friends. We want the church to marry us, provide financial help, get us to heaven, help us when our marriage is messed up, give us the counseling, give us good music, give us good worship, fix our teens. We want them to do everything else. But we find ourselves taking and never becoming a steward with what God has entrusted to us. And that's why this is so critical for us. And, and what's amazing is, is we hold on to what God goes, when you give, windows of heaven begin to open up. And so we've got, because what we, do, we find ourselves doing is we find ourselves spending it on everything else, but instead of giving it to the cause of Christ. Or as one person said it like this, the trouble is that too many people are spending money they haven't yet earned for things they don't need to impress people they don't even like. And you just go, man, what, what, let's Let's figure this out from a biblical worldview. Now, if you get mad at me, and some of you are already fuming, and that's okay. That doesn't bother me. I'm seriously. I, I was, listen, if I, I got over this in letter B. So I'm just not even, but let me say it to you like this. When, when I went to the doctor 
a few years ago, there was something with my knee. He began to poke and prod and press various places. And this is what he would say to me when he was poking around. He goes, does this hurt? How about here? How about here? And then he pushed on something and I go, yes, right there. And then he said, we better do more tests because it's not supposed to hurt there. Here. So when I start pushing on some stuff, you went, ah, hey, ooh, we better do some more tests to see what's going on in this situation. Because if you're, if you're upset and if you're already, some of you are going like, how can I tell my wife it's time to go and I don't feel good or I have a headache? Because I just pushed on something that folks are going, it hurts here. And if it hurts, hey, then let's get it right. Then let's get it fixed and let's do some tests on this to see what he wants to do. One, one pastor said it like this, the preacher is not a chef, he's a waiter. God doesn't want you to make the meal, preachers. He just wants you to deliver it to the table without messing it up. It's not up to me. It's what this says. My job is to be a waiter and not to be a... I don't make up what this says. We stay close to what the Word of God has to tell us today. All right, some New Testament facts. Here it comes. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus spoke were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money. Why wouldn't we speak on this? Why wouldn't we talk about this? See, because there's limitations. Here's the difference between biblical worldview and corporate view of what I'm talking about. Here it comes. Money can buy you a bed, a sleep number bed, but it can't buy you sleep. Money can get you a house, not in New York, maybe somewhere else, but it can't give you a home. It can buy you medicine, but it can't give you health. It can buy you amusements, but it can't give you joy. Money can buy you a crucifix, but it can't give you a savior. And money can get you a safe haven in some island in the, in, 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 in the Atlantic, but it can't get you to heaven. Only Jesus can do those very things. So let's open up the windows of heaven for this to happen. So let's make sure that we're not holding on to something, listen, listen, that can't deliver. It can't deliver for you. So allow me to be your doctor today just to push on that wallet. Let me push just a little bit here. The Bible doesn't shy away from money and neither should we. My father was a son of an immigrant from Italy. My old Brooklyn father who's now with Jesus, I just, this week, I saw my 101-year-old mom. I was just with her. And my father taught me a lot about finances. He was a man that went through depression as a kid. I wanna teach you what he taught me just for the next moment. He told, he told me these three things he always said. He said, one, pay God, number two, pay yourself, and number three, pay your bills. And it was in that order. He said, pay God, that's tithing. Pay yourself, that's savings. 
And number three, pay your bills. That's integrity. That's what's doing the right thing. And this is the way that we were brought up. The first thing you do is you give to, and I watched, I watched that Italian Brooklyn father every Sunday pull out a checkbook and write his tithe check. I watched him, that he, that he took care of us and paid those bills and put money in savings and pay those bills. And some of you are looking at this going like, okay, how do, can you help us? Because every one of those words say pay, but I need. So how do we, how do, we do this? Let me, let me ask a very interesting question. Who can use some more money? Can I? No one's raising their hand. <laughs> some people are going like this. I've tried every way. I've tried to do it by dropping hints of my need to people that I know get, can fill up. That's covert manipulation. I was just saying, hey, would you pray? And I would always pick the people. Would you pray? Because I need help. Um, I just need God to provide $672.83. It was just, it's, it's covert manipulation. I've done it. I've done it. But here's what's amazing, what Jesus said. He says, give generously and generous gifts will be given back to you. Shaken down to make room for more. Abundant gifts will pour out upon you with such an overflowing measure that will run over the top. And here it comes. Your measurement of generosity becomes your measurement of return. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said. In a sense, Jesus puts the return amount you get back in your own hands. And no better way to, to put this into action than what we would call really tithing. Now, let me just define tithing for just a few moments. Tithing is consistent, joyful, and thoughtful giving to God's church. Here it comes. The one you attend. You don't eat at Pizza Hut and give your money to Olive Garden. So if you're watching online, and we're not your church. Don't, listen, we want to be a blessing to you. But this is so important to understand. Another way of understanding tithing is really a thank you note to God who is responsible for every blessing in our life. Every time we tithe, we just say thank you. Thank you, God. So let me be practical and give you two points. Just two points. And some of you are going, thank God it's only two points. Because I want to talk to you about the why and the how of giving today. The why and the how. The why, I'm going to take you to Malachi, and, to, and the how, I'm going to take you to Corinthians. I'm going to take you to a New Testament church. But I'm going to give you from the last book of the Old Testament, I want you to go with me to the book of Malachi. I want to talk to you about the why of giving for just a few moments. And this is going to be the important part. This is when the windows of heaven open up, the fear of the Lord, and so many other things that come along with that. Because so many things are connected to opening up the windows of heaven and a blessing that's being poured out. That coincides with what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. I, was, I wasn't sure whether to say anything about it, but, I just, but it's, it, it gets out there and I'm, I just, it could be your own definition. So many people were shocked this week as a church in Spencer, Massachusetts went up in flames. It was the first congregational church. It was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. One week after the pastor said the Bible has contradictions, the Bible is not dictated by God, and God is a woman. That's what was said this week. All I know is, is this, lightning and all of that. Let me just say this, you can't mock God. 
can't mock him. You cannot mock God. And what's even larger than that is what Malachi says, and you can't, here it comes, rob God. Malachi says this, because he talks about robbing being equated with non-givers. He says in Malachi 3.8, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you say, how have we robbed you? And God answers. Sometimes you don't want God to answer. And this time he does. And he says, in tithes and in offerings. I've had, listen folks, before I read the next verse, I've had my home, uh, I've been robbed in my home. I've been robbed in my car. Our church has been broken into. And I look at all the years there's a feeling of being violated when that happens. Something happens when you've been robbed. I've had everything except being pers- I mean, I, I've, had, I've lost so many different possessions. I, 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 I remember someone breaking into, I, and I had some old Toyota Corolla, um, and some guy broke in. I left something on the seat. They broke in and stole um, my Bible and all these preaching sermons, a lot of them from Times Square Church, stole them. And I said, well, maybe it's a Christian thief. And so I just thought to myself, let, let God just do something. He took the Bible that I loved and the, and the sermons I was listening to. But I felt even, even though he took my, my Bible and my, and my preaching tapes and Christian music, I was so upset and thought, man, I feel violated. I felt, I felt so violated. What is God feeling when he's robbed? Verse 9 says, you're cursed with a curse for you're robbing me. The whole nation of you. And then God gives this, he implores them in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. And see, here it comes. If I will not open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. That sounds like Jesus in that point, point here. He says, I'm not done. Not only does blessing come, but I will involve myself with even spiritual warfare. Then I'll rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of the ground nor your vine in the field will cast the vine in the field will cast its grapes says the lord of hosts he says windows of heaven open up and then he says and i get involved with the spiritual warfare in your life he says you don't even have to rebuke the devourer i'll take care of that for you as you step out in faith god says tithing opens up the windows of heaven to pour out a blessing and all I thought about was this, so what does not tithing do? I'm just, I'm just telling If he says tithing opens up heaven, that you, and let me just pause here for a moment because I can feel some of your eyes looking through me. So let me just say this. It's amazing. When I talk to people that are upset about this, I always ask them. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Let's compare. Then tell me that if Jesus says it's more ble- you get more blessed to give than to receive, so tell me, how, do, how does this work for you? Tell me about your giving 
your giving uh, action, and it's amazing, none of them do. I said, I can show you my records of what God has done in my life that I'm just telling you is nothing but a miracle. I'm I'm getting upset here, so let me just go to this, because here's what happens. He says, if you let me open up the windows of heaven, I'll send the fear of the Lord, which will take care. You know what he says? If you, if you begin to honor that, you know what the next chapter says? When, when they were praying in the back room, our elders were praying. One of our elders brought this up, especially on Father's Day. Fathers, listen to me closely. The last verse of the Old Testament, God says, there is a blessing that I want to bring to fathers and their sons. I want to bring fathers and sons and reconcile them back together. I want to do a restoration. I I believe that's part of an open heaven. I believe that's part of an open window that God opens it up and says, and folks, I'm just telling you this. If I can open up the window of heaven by simply beginning to do what God has asked me to do, why would I even push against that? Why would I sit here and fight against that? I want all that God has. God begins to, and here it is. Because of our reluctance to give money, God says this, test me in this. He says, if you don't believe it, test me. It's the only time. Every time we test God in the, in the, in the Old Testament, God gets angry. Not this one. He says, test me on that. And folks, let me just tell you, Cindy and I did that when we first got married. We tested God. We, we both went into marriage debt-free. And then, after the first year of marriage, we racked up debt. And we looked at it going like, this is impossible. Based on what we make, we can't even. And folks, it wasn't silly stuff, but it was just, it was our irresponsibility. And what we felt, as Cindy and I really prayed about this, is we really tested God and we said okay and what I can just tell you I have no other way to explain this but God helped us and we gave our way out of debt I'm just telling you we literally you can ask Cindy we upped our tithe and our offering and said let's let heaven take care of all this other stuff and we said because what we want to do is this we're in debt I can't tithe. We said, because we're in debt, we are going to another level to see if this actually works. And, and, and I'm just telling you, God did it. That tithe, let's be clear now. Here it is. Let's be clear. I'm not, I, I, I may not be the greatest preacher, but I'm, I, may not, I may be an average preacher, but I am clear. So I'm going to make this really clear. The word tithe means 10%. That means if you make 100 bucks, then 10 belongs to God. If you have a $1,000 check, you write a $100 thank you note to God. And if you don't tithe, you rob God. There it is. Can it be any clearer than that? And the tithe is not just 10%. It's the first 10%. God's word shows us that he considers the 10% his property. And anything less, according to Malachi, is stealing from him. The tithe is only to be a reminder that he owns everything, folks. Let me be clear, you don't own this, 100% belongs to God. Tithing is merely an opportunity for us to acknowledge, God, it belongs to you, you are my source, everything belongs to you. That's why tithing, listen, it's not a financial issue, it's a lordship issue. It's deciding, God, you're in charge. Because here's, here's what's, what's interesting. I, I want you, I, I, some of you, I need to say this, because I've tried it, I've tried this. I've tried to look for every loophole in tithing. 
even when I was a young pastor. I was making just not very much money and I'm going, this is what I said, I want you to listen to me. I thought that me working at the church and serving at the church, ooh, here it comes, was my tithe. Don't pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> don't pretend. I told you you're gonna get mad as we go. It's gonna get worse, so just stay with me. And, and here's what happens. I tried it. I said, well, I don't get paid that much. And some of you are sitting here going like, I volunteer. And, my, and, and so me volunteering my time is the tithe, oh Lord, to you. Ooh, I'm telling you. Serving is not a tithe. Volunteering is not a tithe. Singing is not a tithe. Playing is not a tithe. Choir, not a tithe. Technology, ushers, you're not ushering your tithe. Let me just tell you, it's not what the Bible says. Because just as Malachi associates robbery with those who don't give, Solomon associates giving with honoring God. Listen to it. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. produce. Tithing is honoring the Lord. What is honor? Honor is that is defined as tangibly, tangibly and joyfully evaluating a person's character. It's tangible. You don't tithe in the spirit. So when you when you tithe, you honor God. Let me, let me help you. Here it comes. Whew, it, it just gets deeper and deeper in here. Here we go. I knew this was going to be tough. So Tom, Psalm, let me get it like to you like this. Psalm 24.1, just in case there's any mistake. The earth is the Lord's. And what? Everything in it. Including your address. Your home. Everything. Your, your account. Everything in it. And here's what it says. You ready? A few chapters later. The wicked borrow and do not pay back. I like this section. This section over here. I like the woo-woos of this section over here. So if the planet, everything belongs to God, that means you're not an owner you're a steward. It doesn't belong to you in the first place. And when you hold on to what doesn't belong to you, that's where God then begins to cite, this is robbery because it doesn't belong to you. We can't treat it as if it belongs to us. And some of you are going, that's my money. I worked hard. I built this business. I got that degree. Oh, who gave you the legs to walk to class? Who gave you the eyes to see that board? Who gave you the mind to read this book? Who gave you the life, the fight to get through college? That's not yours, that belongs to God. Everything belongs to him. Tithing is not an act of generosity, it's an act of obedience. It's honoring God. That's why I'm telling you, when a longtime Christian acts like tithing is something new, it means that they put something else first. If you're sitting here today looking at me like, oh, I don't know about all this, it means something else is first. 
is something else has gotten in the way. Because God is careful to say in 310, the whole tithe, most tip, few tithes. They take more time with a restaurant bill than they do with the tithes. And I found that when people are not tithing, then most likely they may be cheating God in other areas of their lives. When we place our tithe in the offering, we're not giving to the Lord something he doesn't have. We're taking our hands off that which belongs to him already. That's what it is. That's all we're doing. And finally, point number two, and some of you are going, thank God. I'm starting to like this side, especially some ladies over there. Number two is the how, how to give. It's 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians 9. This is what we'll finish up with. Let me just give you a quick note before I read to you 1 Corinthians 16. This is, this is so good. When the New Testament was written, there were, there were no chapters or verses written. It was a letter. When you're writing an email and you're, or you're writing a letter, you're not putting verse one, sentence one. You don't do any of that. So that means when we read the Bible, we sometimes think that the end of a chapter is the end of a period of time, the end of the week, the end of a year. There literally could be 15 years between a chapter. And so, but it's a running letter, especially in the New Testament when you read the New Testament. So I wanna read a passage of scripture and I'm gonna just let it flow from one chapter into the other. And it was the way it was written, not with verses, it wasn't, it's not get to the end of a chapter and you just pause and we go to a new thought. It's connected together. First Corinthians, let's start with verse 15, verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be, okay, keep that up there. Look at those, I have to just pause here and then I'm gonna read it all. Um, I love this. I had a friend who put this scripture up in the church nursery. We will not sleep, but we shall be changed. It's a great nursery verse for those that need a good nursery verse to put on the wall. Um, okay, that, that was free. Okay, so let me start again. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. Now remember, I'm just gonna read it straight through right into first chapter 16. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed, hallelujah. For this perishable must put on the imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. When this perishable would have put on this imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Here it comes. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now, concerning the collection. We were just in the rapture. 
We were just in heaven. I had a new body. And you're going to talk about fire. What kind of church is this? It's a New Testament church. I can take you from the second coming and put you right in the offering, is what the apostle Paul said. Do you understand? He just went from you being, I know some of you are going like, I didn't know that was in there. He went right from the rapture, second coming, into now concerning the collection. As I directed the churches of Galatia, so do I do you. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections made when I come. The apostle Paul was saying, giving is just as important as the second coming. Amen. Right. I got this. I got you. pastor stood before his congregation and said, I have bad news, I have good news, and then I have bad news. Congregation got quiet. Said the bad news that the church needs a new roof. The congregation groaned. The good news is that we have enough of money for the new roof. All of a sudden they started clapping. But the bad news, it's still in your pockets. First Corinthians 16 and second Corinthians nine is how the Corinthian church gets a new roof. He's gonna give the practical teaching on how the new roof actually goes on the church. Because when I tithe, listen, I realize that 90% goes further doing it God's way than if I have all 100%. Tithing is a test of faith of do we really, really believe what God said about my finances. It's a test of faith. God doesn't need or even want money. He wants us, our hearts. And until, until this part, and we have so many new converts. I'm going to tell you about this in a second of what your giving has done. We have so many new converts in this place and around the country and around the world that have been part of saying the ABCs and making Jesus Lord. And this is an area that he has to become Lord of. And 2 Corinthians 9 and 1 Corinthians 6, he instructs us that we have, there's four ways to do this. And I want you to get ready. Let me just give them to you quickly. He says it has to be done consistently. It's the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. And what he, was, what he was saying is, he says, when you're paid, then tithing comes from that. When should I, when should I tithe? Every time you're paid. We already, we, we'll do the, the, the whole thing of the, when the, the push pay. Thank you over here. This is odd because usually you get an amen or hallelujah. I never got a push pay first. But it's true. It's true. But it's not just consistently, it's also thoughtfully. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 says, set the money aside according to your income, which means you think about it. You just don't throw it in the basket. You think about it. You go, God, this is the way. When it comes to thoughtful, okay, here, let me, let me just knock this out for a moment. People always ask me, is it net? 
or is it gross? I hear that all the time. Somebody already said, Net, listen, let me help you. Malachi said you give, the problem was, he says, you're giving more to your governor than you do to me. And your government doesn't take net. Your government takes gross at that point. So you can do what you want. I just said I'm not giving more to D.C. and New York than I give to heaven itself. I'm just giving you my, I'm telling you what I see. So, or someone said, the great, the great Congress uh, chaplain, Peter Marshall, said, you should give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. I'll leave that with you and let you decide about that. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 gives two more about the how. He says, but remember this, if you give little, you get little. A farmer who plants just a few seeds gets a small crop, but if he plants much, he'll reap much. Everyone must make up his own mind as how much he should give. Don't force anyone to give more than he really wants to, for cheerful givers are the ones that God prizes. And this is what he says, God is able to make up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that you will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over to give joyfully to others. It's not just thoughtfully and consistently, but according to 2 Corinthians 9, it's generously. Generously. And finally, joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. It's the only time in the word that this word is used here. In fact, the word actually means hilarious. And it seems that everything but joy gets connected to giving. You may say, I'm not happy about it. I'll give to the church. I'll do this. We accept angry money. I want you to understand that right now. We don't mind. Generously, thoughtfully, consistently. Let me tell you what it has done. Your giving, TSC, has changed lives all over the world. You're going to see that your tithing brought hope, food, and Bibles to Odessa, Ukraine, and Moldova. Literally. Pastor Carter and Dr. Teresa Conlin, who's the president of our Bible college, said we sat there and we, as we were speaking to a thousand people Two different sessions, a thousand showed up and left, and, a thousand, and he said in these sessions, there would just basically be women and children, because all the men are being called to, to, sol to be soldiers. And he said it was, it was unbelievable as I watched this. And he said, and when we were done, and I saw those trucks pulling up with food and Bibles for these women that have no, that all their breadwinners have gone, houses and some places where they stayed is in rubble. Church, listen to me. You help doing that. That's what the tithing and the offerings begin to do. You help that. I think God's plan has always been to finance his work through the tithes and the offerings of his people. That's what he does. Rikers Island, as you went in there, it was historic as we were able to bring in food for inmates, men and women. What you did to bring in, set up staging, bring in music, and to do something special in Rikers do you understand this Tuesday, as Stan talked about a 212 takeover, the next gen will do the whole service, but then we're going to have the opportunity to send young people that have no chance, no chance, tithes and offerings helps us to send young people to a camp in the summer that they have no chance to go, and that's what we get to do in those situations. 
That's why I understand something. Tithing is commanded. Offering comes from those who understand tithing. Offering is above the tithe. And once we understand the tithe, you don't give an offering without giving a tithe. We have to understand tithing first. Tithing isn't the finish line, it's the starting line. So that's why we always ask the question, have you started? When you, when you gave offering, when you gave to the vision fund, that wasn't tithing, that was offering. Let me just tell you what it did. It already launched the Yale prayer meeting as almost a thousand people showed up at Yale University to pray and to begin to start. And folks, let me tell you something. We are already, and I can't even mention the names I've heard from Pastor Carter and others, that other, other, other Ivy League schools are starting to open up that are asking for a prayer meeting. And we get to, from that vision fund, get to do that and to put a prayer meeting on the campuses that are there. Do you understand? We took that vision fund and sent a half a million dollars to summit to train the next generation to go around the world and all these students. We've started, I have to tell you this, we've started TSC Spanish, Chinese, Arabic launches the first week of July, and we were discussing yesterday the launching of TSC even in Hebrew and getting it ready for next year as we get ready to go for the nation of Israel. Folks, you, you helped launch through that vision fund, TSC Chinese, and I heard a story from one of our members that met someone from China who is without a church, and she said, it was great joy that I remembered. We have a Chinese station on YouTube, and I was able to send her the links for her to begin to get connected back with the word of, now folks, you understand something. All that is because of tithes and offerings. Do you understand that? That's not, that wasn't something that just happened. You help with that. The online church, I was talking to my new friend from Australia who thanked me, says, you don't understand what you guys are doing online and how it helps us here in Australia, in Melbourne. And folks, I've heard stories around the world. I heard from one of our members, online members in Illinois, who got saved online, joined a connect group online, got water baptized online, and then dedicated her baby three, three Sundays ago online and said, thank you for doing what you're doing online. Now folks, We'll give you the update of a vision fund coming up at the end of August, beginning of September. But if you've not even been part of that, of giving an offering to that, maybe you have to just start with tithing first and maybe even the international community. This is new to you. You don't understand even what this is all about. We, we said, let's, let's figure out how to make this right. Let's figure out how to get this done and to do it right. We wanna use every possible way. I want the windows of heaven to open up to you. I want heaven to be opened up to you. Now listen, let me close with this. Because I kept asking the question, what, if everyone in the church followed your pattern of giving, would these stories exist? If they followed the way you give, would those stories, would there be TSC Chinese? TSC Spanish? TSC um, coming up in, in, in Arabic? TSC uh, um, Hindi comes up in the fall? As we begin to do these things, I, I, I want to find a way to open up the windows of heaven. I want the windows of heaven. I want the fear of the Lord. I want fathers brought back to their sons. I want whatever God has, heaven open up and pour out. Our ultimate goal is to be like God. That's what the Bible says. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God in everything you do. 
God gave, so we are to be givers also. God is a giver. How do you know that, Pastor Tim? For God so loved the world that he, his only begotten son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, look at me for a second. I'm, I'm, thank God the father didn't tithe from heaven. He gave us his son. Thank you, Jesus, you didn't tithe your blood. You gave your entire life for us. Thank God for that. That's our example. I think God is just going tithing. That's just the starting point. I want to be like God. I want, I want, I want God's example to challenge me. That's what I want. You know, there is a, there is a theater in Hollywood. It used to be called Grauman's Chinese Theater. It's now called TS, TCL Theater. 200 entertainers and 200 actors put their feet in cement and their hands down there to honor their work in the entertainment industry. One of the last ones they wanted to put, which was, was, was kind of a, a milestone, was putting Kobe Bryant in there. But everybody, they've, the, the ones that have come up recently that they put in there is, is everyone from James Cameron to Jamie Lee Curtis and hands and feet, 200 of them, hands and feet there. It's a whole section with, for, for next gen, all the Avengers, Iron Man and Spider-Man and Thor and all of them, they're all down there. 80-year-old Indiana Jones. How in the world he does it, I don't even know. 80 years old, Harrison Ford has it there. Let me just tell you something. Not one of those hands and not one of those feet have changed my life. But there's somebody whose hands and feet are not there on Hollywood Boulevard. That I'm telling you today, those hands had nail scars, those feet had nail scars. I'm sorry, listen, Harrison Ford, I'm sorry, Avengers, I'm sorry to all of you, Steven Spielberg, I'm sorry. I thank you for entertaining us, but that doesn't fix my life. The ones who have hands and feet gave everything and gave up his life for us, then why wouldn't we give our life to him today? The one who didn't tithe, but gave it all. Folks, I'm telling you, that's why we give our life to him today. Hallelujah. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He gave so we can give back. What do you give than to the God who put his hands and feet on a cross? And didn't tithe his life, but gave his life. What do you do? Here's, here's what you do. First thing you do is give your life to him. That's what you do. You give your life to him. That's how it starts. Folks, we weren't going to blindside you. We weren't here to go, okay, now let's take an offering. Um, that's, that's, that's manipulation never do that. Now we let the word of God 
work inside of you. The most important question anybody can ever ask you, if God gave his life for you, would you give your life to him? That's the most important question. It's the most important question for those that are watching from Burkina Faso and Madagascar. It's the most important question those are watching from Poland and Norway. It's the most important question to ask you that are watching from Trinidad and Barbados, from Myanmar and South Africa and Kenya. It's the most important question that can ever be asked is have you been born again? That's the phrase that Jesus says is used in giving our life to him. We give our life to him. We've, come on, folks. We've given so much money to those hands and feet on Hollywood Boulevard. I've seen every Marvel movie, and, and I can't wait until the next one comes out. And, and I'm going to see The Flash and Batman and, and all that. Come on. We've given so much money to that stuff, and those hands and feet have done nothing for you. They haven't healed you. They haven't saved you. They haven't fixed your home. They haven't changed. Folks, listen, I'm not against those hands. I'm not angry with those hands and feet, but let's not honor those hands and feet more than we honor the hands and feet that have set us free today. Come on. Come on. Let's stop with the nonsense. That's the ones that have changed our life. That's the one. My goodness, we know all the lines of everything from those hands and feet. But yet, when we start talking about what the hands and feet of the Savior says to us, we all of a sudden back off. But I'm telling you, that's the only hands and feet that I want in my life. I want those nail-scarred hands. I want those nail-scarred feet. Okay, we got to do this fast. Listen, we're already over time, but this is, this is just what we do at Times Square Church. If you're here today, you're watching online. Put, put money aside. If you're here today and you've never been born again, what does that mean? Just as you had a first birth physically, you've never had a spiritual birth. That's why, that's why when you look at this, you go, ah, oh, it's money. It's, no, 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 this isn't money. It's just we're, 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 wanting, we're wanting to be obedient to God. But here's what comes. If you've never learned what it was to have a good, good father, Wrap his arms around you. I don't care whether you work on Wall Street or you live in your government-subsidized housing. I don't care if you're here as an athlete, an ambassador, or an actor, or you're here as a single mom going, on Mother's Day, I'm the mom, and on Father's Day, I'm the father. Listen, we can't make it in life without Jesus, and we can't make it after life without Jesus. So here it comes. The hands and feet now reaches out to you and says, I've given you my life. Turn your life over to me. No man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. And that can happen today. You can be born again. Your life can be changed from the inside out. A brand new life can start today. God goes with you. How does it happen, Pastor Tim? It's as simple as ABCA. Admitting that I'm a sinner, I'm broken on the inside. I can't fix myself with any promise, any prescription, any program. I can't fix me. Then how does it happen? Be believe. Believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross. Die the death I was supposed to die. Live the life I couldn't live and gave me a reward I didn't deserve. And see, confessing him as Lord saying, you're in charge of my life. You didn't come 2,000 years ago to get me to church. You came 2,000 years ago to get me to heaven. And that can happen right now. You can keep your head up, your eyes open, watching online. 
I want to pray a born-again prayer that starts a journey with God today. If you're in this place, even you may be a dad, I'm telling you it's the greatest gift you can give to your family. You may be a son that's here, greatest gift you can give to your dad today is give him a new life in Jesus. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that born-again prayer, I want to be part of that. I want to start a journey with God. I don't have it all together, and you don't have to. It starts with forgiveness, and then God does it. I don't agree with this thing on money. Good. You don't have to. Become a Christian. Let God do the work there. I don't have to worry about that. I'm not. You don't have to. The Bible says believe. It didn't say tithe. It says believe. I want you to understand that. You don't have to give offering or money to come to Christ. You come to Christ through belief. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer to be born again, I want to start a journey with God today without any hesitation. If that's you to say, put me in that prayer today, Pastor Tim. Hold up your hand as high as you can today. Hold it up as high as you can. Come on, keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Gotcha. Gotcha. Right over there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep them up because this is a day over there. Thank you. Come on, hold them up high. Hold them up high. I just want to make sure I see every hand that's up right over there. Over there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Over there in the back. I just want to make sure I don't miss Gutch in the balcony over there. Thank you. Thank you. Over there in the balcony. Thank you so much. Come on, let's pray this together. Come on, let's all of us. Say this with me out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you die for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. The Bible is my guide, and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.